0: The concept of artificial intelligence has always been good Hollywood plot stuff. From Stanley Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey to James Cameron's The Terminator. It's 1984, a cyborg sent back in time from the year 2029 arrives with the mission to kill Sarah Connor, the woman destined to be the mother of John Connor, a resistance leader that will ultimately threaten Skynet the A.I. evil overlord of 2029. Bottom line for those of us in 1984, we must stop the computers from taking over. But Hollywood tends to have an exaggerated view of artificial intelligence. What are the real implications of A.I. on public relations and marketing? A.I. can't multitask. It's not guided by ethics. It can't perform beyond its limitations and certainly can't write creative blockbuster hot movie dialogue i'll be back okay so there's a little room for ai when it comes to writing today on stories and strategies headlines recently featured in reagan's daily pr news including the checks and balances being developed to keep chat gpt in check journalists are responding to fewer of our pitches and why are M&M's candy suddenly controversial? My name is Doug Downs. Off the top, the uh, theme from the Terminator, composed by Bradley Fiedel. That's good music. My guest this week is Allison Carter. Hey, Allison. Hey, Doug. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And you're joining us from? It's called the the Hoosier State, right? Indiana, Indianapolis, Hoosiers, Indi- right?
1: It's Indianapolis, Indiana, and yes, it's the Hoosiers. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I said it backwards. How are things where you are? I, I guess no chance of spring popping up anytime too soon, right?
1: You know, it's pretty warm here, but it's very windy. So I guess that's kind of spring-like.
0: Yeah, yeah, it can be. Allison, you're the executive editor at PR Daily. You come to the role from a media background and you have a BA in communications from Elon University. Absolutely. First, Let's talk about the big headline in the writing world these days, chat GPT. Mm -hmm. By the way, a human wrote this script, not not a computer. Today, we're never quite sure, though, if a blog or a newsletter or an ad has been written by a human or a computer, but now there's an AI tool Mm -hmm. that might help us figure out if AI wrote the original piece.
1: Yes, so we now have robots to tell us if something was written by a robot. Um, <laughs> ChatGPT has rolled out a, an AI detection tool, but even they admit it's not great. Um, it can only kind of tell you probabilities, and it can definitely get things wrong.
0: Where are you at with the whole AI writing script for PR people? I, I must have been. I'm. I, I. It definitely can, and and it's. It, it will, and it will be a threat, but more to the writers that maybe aren't going the extra couple of miles to create something that's creative and on, on point? Where were you at with, with AI writing?
1: Look, I think if you're doing something very basic, like let's say you're doing a press release that the client insists you do and you know isn't going to get picked up anywhere, let's say. A, <laughs> we've all done them, right? We, we
0: No. <laughs>
1: oh, right, of course. Um, but, you know, let's say it's a new hire, you know, press release or something like that, that's very run-of-the-mill. I do think that that can really help you save some time. You know, you need to be very, very careful to check them. You need to fact check them, double check all the names, that kind of stuff. But I do think that it can save you some time to essentially free you up for the higher level um, writing activities that you really should be doing anyway. So, you know, if you have them write that press release and you can then spend, you know, that, that 30 minutes it would have taken you researching you know, your distribution list or writing a really good pitch for a story that might actually get traction, I think that's time well spent and isn't going to replace you if you actually have the skills to go above and beyond what a robot can do, which I would hope that we all do.
0: Yeah. Have you, have you read articles where you're pretty sure it was written by AI?
1: I don't know that I have seen that yet, like out in the wild. I have. I mm. know that more and more media outlets are doing that. Just today, I saw that Men's Journal was caught doing that after the CNET debacle, which was also caught doing that. So, you know, I think I think what's going to be important in the future is the transparency about when an AI is writing things versus when a human is, whether that's media or whether that's us as PR professionals talking to our clients about it. We just need to be honest about where it's coming from.
0: I read something last night that parts of sports illustrated are written, but I can't imagine anything filtered or fabricated um, picture wise or, or written wise sure. in sports Illustrated. but you know, it, it's going to become more, more and more common. I do like um, if I'm stuck, any writer will get stuck. I love to go into an AI tool and help generate the creative juices so that I can submit, Oh, there's an aha That I was missing. I do appreciate that about AI writing.
1: There was actually a piece in the New York Times that talked about use of AI in classrooms, because, you know, there's a lot about plagiarism and will students ever write an English paper again kind of thing. Right. Um, And what this one teacher came up with the idea of was she had students use ChatGPT to create an outline of a story. Um, So like an outline of an essay so they could kind of see what the structure should look like. And then she had them close their laptops and then write out the essay based on that outline by hand. So I think that's kind of what you're talking about. You can use it to help give you some structure and ideas and then go in and give it the human spin and that thing that only you can add to it.
0: That's perfect. Other headlines making the news. I love to brag that there are now more podcast listeners in insert country here, you know, in the United States, in Australia, in Great Britain, than Netflix subscribers. And that sounds amazing, right? But the truth is it's because... People share Netflix passwords. We live miles apart, but you and I could swap Netflix passwords um, and it would work. Netflix recently took some steps to address that, but it resulted in some interesting social media backlash.
1: Yeah, there's a ton of backlash. This was a rollout that was really botched at every level. Um, So the, the plan was to crack down on password sharing by essentially saying, you have to sign into your home network. So basically one Wi-Fi network that you've designated as your home base once a month in order to keep using Netflix. Um, Not only were people... So the way that they rolled this out was they accidentally posted it in like a help article, okay? um, On the United States site and said, oh, well, actually that was an accident. It was only supposed to be for Canada. It was only supposed to be for New Zealand. Um, We're not rolling it out in the United States yet. But no one's really buying that. They're clearly going to roll this out as widely as they can. And people are really upset about this for multiple reasons. First is just logistically, um, how is this gonna work? People have lots of circumstances that mean they might not be able to sign in once a month. You got college students, you have deployed military, you have people who don't have a home base because they travel all over the place. So many different circumstances. And then there's just really this sense that Netflix knew about password sharing for the last decade. They even encouraged it in some instances. And now they're acting like you're stealing something because you're sharing with your friends and family, which is something that's been done for such a long time. And at a time when everyone's feeling a pinch on their wallets, it just feels really um, stingy. It just doesn't leave anyone with a good taste in their mouth.
0: Bad timing here. Bad timing. Terrible timing. The backlash, whenever there's social media backlash, I love to ask, well, what does that actually mean? Netflix puts so much in the Goodwill Bank from a public relations standpoint, any long-term effects from that, do you think?
1: I, I think so. I think that this is a very serious blow. Netflix had already been getting quite a bit of pushback for this perception. You can say if it's reality or not. There's a perception that they cancel shows after one season um, that you know, just as you were getting into something, they're like, oh, there's not going to be any more of that. So people were already kind of annoyed. And now they're like, oh, OK, well, now you're going to put even more restrictions on me while taking away the content that I like. I'm just going to cancel. We, of course, won't know for sure until we see the subscriber numbers during their next quarterly report. But at least anecdotally, they've taken some big body blows here. They actually put out a blog post yesterday that I wrote about in the Daily Scoop that sought to clarify the confusion. Did nothing of the sort. Basically, they just said, we are rolling this out in Canada, in New Zealand, in Spain, and Portugal, I believe. Said nothing about the future of it in the United States and basically blamed users for the confusion about the password. It's
0: your fault. That
1: was <laughs> I <love> very that. <laughs> much the tone and tenor of it. It was very like, oh, you know, y- there's confusion about what constitutes a household. No one was confused. No one was confused. So just kind of that, you're stupid. We need to slap you on the hand. It's not, it's not the tone.
0: And lots of competitors out there now. So maybe not the right time for, for that exactly.
1: kind of stuff. You know, it, I do think we'll see what happens when a new season of a hit show comes out. You know, when there's new Stranger Things season, when there's a new Wednesday right, right. series. But can you build a business on people subscribing for one month when there's a new show and then canceling?
0: Okay. A new poll by Meltwater is suggesting a large portion of public relations and marketing pros expect the use of social media to become more important in 2023. Mm-hmm. But another poll by Morning Consult says a majority of Americans believe social media sites are changing in the wrong ways. (sighs) What's happening here?
1: I mean, there's a lot happening here, right? Each social network is kind of, you know, to be taken on its own terms, right? Obviously, Twitter has been in utter chaos since the takeover of Elon Musk. It's seen as becoming more extreme. Its features are changing very, very rapidly. They, too, are uh, applying new fees. Then you have Instagram, which has had a lot of pushback against trying to become like TikTok and moving away from its roots as a video sharing site. I think what's really happening is we're essentially moving into a social media 2 or even 3.0 era where they're becoming something new. And let's be real. People don't like change.
0: Right. Right. So it's becoming more prominent uh, for... uh for PR and marketing pros, but maybe with a darker side to it.
1: Right. I mean, I think it's important to note that even though Americans don't, I think that was the poll with Americans specifically don't like the direction that social media is heading. I don't believe there was any indication that they plan to use it any less, you know, most polls show it still going up. So I think that the lesson for PR pros there is really, how can we make sure that we are using it in a positive way, right? That we aren't getting sucked into some of that darkness, you know, here in the United States, next year is a presidential election year again. That's going to be very chaotic. That is going to create darkness, as you said, in our very polarized country on social media. Right? How can we, you know, be an optimistic force for good without seeming seeming Pollyanna-ish? And in this difficult economy, when many of us are, you know, as communicators, you know, those poor Netflix communicators—they didn't come up with that policy. They're right. just stuck trying to communicate it, and that's that's a hard job. And I, I feel for them. So, yeah. you know, how can we strike those balances, even as people are leery of social media?
0: And, and just FYI, Reagan's has a, a great social media conference coming up at Disney World. That's in mid March. Um, so, if you're you're in the Florida area or travel to Florida is is doable. That'd be a, a great conference.
1: It's a fantastic conference. We've got an all star lineup. And um, let me know if you're coming. I'll see you there.
0: Uh, that sounds good. New data from Propel Media says journalists are responding to fewer of our pitches. Hmm, down by twenty percent or one fifth. Mm-hmm. That's not good news for us, anyway. Allison, what's going on?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's 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 a confluence of events, right? I think that you know we all know that there are fewer and fewer journalists every day. Um, yeah. You mentioned that I come from a media background. I worked at the Indianapolis Star before I came to Reagan. I was uh, I was a news editor. Um, and, you know, I saw people leave that newsroom, including me, and never be replaced. Um, you know, that's happening all over the place. I mentioned earlier that, um, men's journal was, um, you know, using AI. I saw on Twitter that's because they're down to just five staffers. Oh, wow. So, you know, when you've got, you know, so even, even if the number of pitches were sent out, they're so overwhelming. We need to make sure that we are really saving our best stuff and not, just sending things out like it's back, you know, like it's 2003 because they just don't have the bandwidth to get back to every
0: pitch. I can remember because I do a lot of media training. I remember the statistic I had that I could rely on. This was 10 years ago was that there are four times as many PR people as there are reporters. I'll bet you that number's worse today. I won't put you on the spot, but, um, your thoughts on that of being kind of surrounded as a journalist, um,
1: Yeah. I mean, I even experience it today. You know, my role here is not, my role here daily is not pure journalism, but I do get pitches. I do interview people. I do do guest posts, all of that kind of thing. And it can be overwhelming sometimes, especially when I get pitches on things I would never cover. So, you know, I think that you as a PR person, the biggest thing that you can do is just say, is there a realistic chance that this journalist would cover it? Because we are getting so much noise at us of things that are not on our beats. Um, you know, when I was at the Indianapolis Star, I'd get things that weren't happening in the state of Indiana. So there was no chance I was going to cover. It. I was a local journalist. In PR, you know, we get a lot of agent At PR Daily, I get a lot of pitches for, like, agency moves and hires. We don't do that kind of coverage. Right. Um, it's, it's fine. And a lot of other sites do. It's just not what we do. Do your research. And you're going to have a lot. You know, I think it's those mismatch pitches that are also driving that percentage uh, of success down
0: and I got to think the fact we have so many messages coming at us through different channels every day mm-hmm. I mean just in my our little podcast you know I'm getting three or four pitches a day now and and often there you know our guest can talk about how to run a successful PR agency well <laughs> <laughs> right. <that's>, you know <laughs> Yeah. Zoom in on something. Zoom in. I'm more interested in niche and eh, maybe a little controversy here and there as well. So
1: Right. You really need to find what unique spin can you put on. I deal with the same thing. You know, Five tips for pitching the media. Yeah. What's your hook? How can you, you know, you're going to write about the Netflix controversy. I'm very interested in that. You know, how can you yeah. apply your wisdom to something that people are interested in? Again, that's, yeah. you know, do that news jacking thing. That's going to be really attractive.
0: Okay. Last up, and I've been waiting for this one culture wars claim m&ms that was your headline (laughs) what
1: (laughs) it's a little bit of a hyperbolic headline so m&ms has since they've i actually didn't realize how old they were apparently the m&ms anthropomorphic mascots have been around since the 60s in one form or another in the last few years m&ms has been tweaking them revamping them to the 21st century including you know Ramping down the sexiness of the green M&M, which for many, I can't believe I'm talking about a candy sexiness, (laughs) but you know, she for many years was the only female M&M. And that very oddly, uh, I think they took away her high heels and gave her sneakers, for instance. Um, And some people uh, in the United States, right wing uh, conservative commentators thought that that was a sign of woke politics infiltrating an American classic icon. And so m mm. and M&M announced that they are going to, um, I believe they called it a pause, put a pause on those uh, mascots. And instead, during their Super Bowl ad coming up on Sunday, they're going with uh, comedian Maya Rudolph um, mm. instead. Um, I don't think we've seen the last of these m and Their language is, is very cagey, and I would not be surprised if they crash the Super Bowl ad or something like that. But it's a very weird time.
0: Does it feel like a stunt?
1: Oh, yeah, it's totally a stunt.
0: Um, (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah, it's 100% a stunt. It kind of reminds me if you guys remember a few years ago, the whole killing Mr. Peanut in the Planter Super Bowl ad. Yes, yes. So it definitely has tones of that to it. But they, you know, I think that in some ways they did do this news jacking. They recognized that they were part of this Tempest in a teapot. And, you know, they kind of said, well, we'll use some of that attention. And they got ahead of the Super Bowl news cycle. They did this like a couple weeks ago, a couple, three weeks ago before most people were talking about Super Bowl ads. So I think that was really clever and really extended the life cycle and helped stop them from getting lost in the shuffle because everybody's going to be watching for their ad on Sunday.
0: Go with the attack. That's PR jujitsu mm-hmm. or marketing jujitsu. That's, that's always good stuff. Allison, thank you for your time. Th- these were great. I really appreciate it.
1: Great being with you.
0: If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Allison Carter, best way to do that is by following Allison on Twitter or LinkedIn. Address is in the show notes. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor, recommend it to one friend. Thanks for listening.